Welcome to the Den of Dissidents. This is a show where we challenge the current culture and mainstream talking points of the day. What is the news telling us? What is the culture telling us? Where is our civilization headed? And by what standard do we judge these issues? Are you a dissident? Let's find out. What is the deal, people? We are back. So before I get into this episode, just want to do a brief introduction of today's guest. And um, today I interviewed John Bush, who has um, founded an organization which is geared towards helping people become more independent and self-reliant financially and in other ways. So he has courses and workshops that um, teach people about entrepreneurship how to start a counter economy, a parallel economy, so that they're not, um, or they don't have to rely on a particular system in order to get by. Um, he teaches people about um, cryptocurrency and also alternative currency, you know, because they, they want to invest in alternative assets in case they think that the uh, current, um, I guess, currency, the dollar, is losing value. So they want to hedge themselves and protect themselves. And he also teaches people how to grow organic foods, how to um, get together with freedom communities, how to collaborate with people on buying land, um, and also side hustles. He teaches people about how to start their own side hustles. Um, some interesting things I found out about in his um, courses was. Um, how to convert U-Hauls and buses into homes and reduce living expenses, um, how to make a new home or how to move into a new home without paying a mortgage through seller finance deals and how to find those deals, um, how to find entertainment ideas on a tight budget. And um, he basically has workshops and classes that are geared towards helping people find more freedom in their lives. And uh, I'm going to attach some links below so you guys can check out his workshops, check out his courses. And on that note, let's get started. Peace. Welcome back to the Den of Dissidents. Today I have special guest John Bush. John Bush is the creator of Live Free Academy. He's also um, an activist, entrepreneur, father, and he helps people opt out of the great reset modern style of living and to create freedom. For themselves. Welcome to the show today, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, John, uh, I want to start off asking you, what led you down this path of wanting to become self-sufficient and independent? Well, I was always a bit of a rebel in high school, uh, getting kicked out of class, causing trouble, even organized like some walkouts to protest some other tardy policies. Uh, anyway, and then I caught this documentary on cable access in Austin, Texas, where I was born and raised, and it was Alex Jones's 9-11 Road to Tyranny. This was 2002, right after 9-11, so I quickly understood false flag terrorism and the true nature of our, well, I try not to say it's our government because I, I didn't consent to being ruled by these clowns, but uh, the government is very diabolical. And at the end of the day, the folks in power are all about controlling. So that was a big eye opener that led me down a rabbit hole researching conspiracy, got involved in political activism, uh, became, uh, learned about libertarianism through the Ron Paul campaign 2007, 2008. And we did a lot of political activism pushing against the police state, the surveillance state, 
supporting uh, homeschooling against the uh, CPS here in Texas. But at the end of the day, all the political activism was unsatisfactory because we were simply slowing the growth of tyranny. We weren't creating real freedom for ourselves, uh, expending tons of energy and not really getting anywhere towards the pursuit of a free society, which is why I shifted my focus instead of pushing back on the system or fighting against the man or yelling at government buildings, which everyone seems to really enjoy doing. Um, we've started building new systems, food production, cryptocurrency, decentralized peer-to-peer -peer social organizations, privacy technology. Uh, and since then, we've helped to wake people up to the idea that if you want to create freedom in your lives, you should take responsibility for the creation of that freedom, not rely on governments or politicians to do the right thing. Absolutely. So recently, you just had this um, CBDC opt-out conference. Mm -hmm. What, for those that don't know, what is a CBDC and why would somebody want to opt out? Uh, sure. Well, the central the CBDC stands for central bank digital currency. Uh, of course, the central bank in the United States is the Federal Reserve. There's also the Bank of England, which is pretty old school. And these are banking cabals, uh, banking. Um, it's a small group of people basically that are getting together to, uh, to operate a cartel on the creation of money. And so the Federal Reserve is largely responsible for all sorts of financial problems because they just create money out of thin air. They give it to their friends first. That dilutes the value of money. The more money you have, the less value, the more money that's in circulation, the less valuable it is. Ron Paul called it the inflation tax. There's all these traditional problems with central banking. But when you introduce the concept of a central bank digital currency, which is all about surveillance and control, essentially they want to force people to use programmable money. And some of the programs that they can use with this money, it's not cryptocurrency, by the way. And in most cases, it's not based on blockchain technology. But uh, rather, it's just programmable money. So they could create a negative interest rate that would force you to spend your money. So perhaps after a year or two, the money starts to lose its value or however it may look. That would be a way to try to force the stimulation of the economy. On top of that, they'll be able to track and surveil what you spend your money on. They'll be able to limit what you can spend your money on. As we saw in the case of the Canadian Freedom Convoy that was pushing against Justin Trudeau's COVID policies and the vaccine mandates. Uh, they ended up seizing people's bank accounts and freezing their bank accounts. Even people that didn't actually participate in the protest movement, folks that just financially supported them, they had their bank accounts shut down. So this is a very real threat. And if the money in the U.S. and other Western countries all over the world, really, were to be shifted towards the central bank digital currency, it would really greatly increase the government's ability to control people. And that's not a good thing. So... I would hope folks that value freedom and privacy would want to opt out of such a system. Right. So how are CBDCs different from crypto? Because I, I know people say that crypto is like decentralized and it, it's, it has a lot of privacy. Um, and they say that it just can't be tracked. How, how are CBDCs um, different from crypto, like Bitcoin? Yeah, so many Bitcoin, many cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency, right? And then there's a bunch of copycats. Some of them have value or utility, but a lot of them are just kind of garbage. People trying to make a bunch of money creating tokens out of thin air, essentially, kind of like the Federal Reserve does. But Bitcoin itself is, is very decentralized. There's 30 to 40,000 different computers or more 
that host the Bitcoin blockchain. The Bitcoin blockchain is a collection of all the transactions that have taken place in the history of Bitcoin. A new block gets added to the blockchain approximately every 10 minutes. And so this is a really great way to conduct business, to engage in commerce with one another. Because of the decentralized nature, all these different wallet companies, all of these different nodes, those are computers that host the blockchain, and then all these different mining computers, those are computers that verify the transactions on the blockchain and add these blocks to the chain. It's just a digital, uh, digital public ledger, but it's decentralized. The decentralized nature makes it such that if a government wanted to stop someone from spending money or get in the way between them and their client, uh, they wouldn't be able to do so because there's no company, there's no CEO, there's no board of directors that they can sue or they can pressure or coerce. So it's decentralized in nature. And these central bank digital currencies are the exact opposite. They are very much centralized. They're issued by a central bank, which is largely unaccountable to anybody whatsoever. And they represent a real threat to our privacy and our freedom because it will increase the ability for a government to shut you out of commerce, much like was mentioned in the book of Revelations about the mark of the beast. So on the one hand, you have a centralized, controlled surveillance currency. On the other hand, you have a decentralized, free currency. Now, I will say, however, Bitcoin, unlike some other cryptocurrencies like Monero, for example, does have a transparent blockchain. So while it doesn't say that John Bush sent a tenth of a Bitcoin to Sally, uh, it does show that this address sent a tenth of a Bitcoin to this address. The public address is kind of like your account number. So if you purchase Bitcoin on an exchange like Coinbase, where you have to scan your driver's license to complete this know your customer check, it's part of the Bank Secrecy Act to try to avoid money laundering and criminal activity. Although really the purpose is surveillance mostly for the IRS in large part. Uh, if you scan your driver's license, and then you buy Bitcoin and you send it to your wallet, that can be tracked. But if you buy Bitcoin privately and there's no scanning of your driver's license or there's no tying your address, like your account number basically, to your identity, then it's pretty dang private. But then there's other cryptocurrencies, like I mentioned, like Monero, that completely obscure the transaction, how much was sent, what address it was sent to, what address it was sent from, when it was sent. And I think that's a pretty valuable tool that we can use in addition to Bitcoin in order to overcome these CBDCs. Basically, what I'm teaching in this CBDC opt-out program is how we can create what we call counter economies. These are like alternative right. economic systems that operate outside of the established economy, which is all just built, built on fraud. And that fraud is being exposed right now. Every day we see the prospect of bank failures and bank runs. These major banks are failing as we speak. It's only going to exacerbate and grow. So we're trying to build a real economy using real sound money that isn't controlled, that isn't arbitrarily inflated by central bankers. Uh, and we're trying to get people to put their money into real things like food, businesses, real estate, investing in their community, investing in their family, investing in themselves, because these are things that are challenging and very difficult for the government to manipulate and take away from us. So I'm still trying to figure out the whole crypto space. I, um, I was very skeptical of it. And, you know, I still, I'm still allowing the idea to float around. Um, I haven't jumped into it but i've always been curious as to how crypto came about like 
who created crypto? I, I know it was uh, there's a guy named Satoshi Nakamoto, and he wrote a white paper. But to my knowledge, he has never been discovered. Nobody really knows who he is. So how do we trust something or trust a currency that's been devised by someone that we don't know, we can't really track down, we can't really see it? So how do you um, explain that or take away the mystery of it? That's a great question. You set me up with a nice one. uh, (laughs) Excited to answer it. First of all, though, um, I'm always looking for lessons in life. I consider myself a very conscious person. And when there's challenges, when there's struggle, when there's adversity, which I've faced my fair share of in the past and the present, um, I'm always looking for opportunities to learn and grow. And one thing that I've learned being a part of this freedom, truth, conspiracy movement for 20 years now is that, and also running a business that caters to folks that believe like we do, um, and marketing to people, trying to get them to do business with me and to take my workshops and courses, I've come to learn that our community has trust issues. When you go your whole life believing that, you know, what we learned in school, that the government's virtuous and we should worship the presidents whose pictures are on the wall, all of the elementary school, and we say to pledge allegiance to the flag, and then you wake up for some reason, you get red-pilled, it really shakes the core of your being, and it causes you to... to to um, project the trust issues, the trust challenges we have with the government onto other things. People, that's why everyone likes to point the finger and say everyone's controlled opposition and stuff, which I grow so tired of. So I just want to throw this out there. A lesson that I've learned myself is that we do not allow speculation and trust issues to cause us to miss out on opportunities for growth, for development, business opportunities. And so I want to encourage the folks in your audience, yourself included, perhaps that are skeptical of Bitcoin that if you have this mistrust and skepticism, in my view, people are doing themselves a great disservice because as this central bank digital currency system rolls out, Bitcoin and decentralized privacy cryptocurrencies like Monero are going to be the only way that free people can do business with one another online. Now, we're encouraging people to do business in person, trade and barter, silver coins. I got some lamb chops if you want to trade some eggs or whatever. Um, but I like to do business online. People do business with me online and I'm not going to lay down and accept some currency where in order for me to use it, I got to be up to date on my shots or have a certain carbon allotment that I haven't exceeded. Right? So your skepticism and your mistrust is healthy, but at the same time, let's not allow mistrust or misunderstanding to prevent us from doing something that at the end of the day is extremely valuable and beneficial. So let me let me answer your question. So there's a lot of speculation about Satoshi Nakamoto. And you said he, right? So we don't know if it's he, she, oh, they, them, whatever. Um, but really, at the end of the day, I, I've done a lot of research on this. And so there's a lot of people that think it's the NSA or it's the government. In fact, there's this white paper that the NSA wrote, the National Security Agency, in the 90s. And they laid out the prospects of a digital currency. But when you actually read the paper and you understand how Bitcoin works, you realize that it's two different things. There's many key features of Bitcoin that weren't included in this white paper on digital currency. When you study the history of this movement called cypherpunks, right, a lot of people aren't aware of this. They just hear the headline or watch the video on Rumble. And they're like, Bitcoin bad, who knows? There's all this mystery. Maybe it's the new world order. And it does seem convenient, right? Let's get everyone to get excited about this digital currency, right? But when you dig into the history of the likely genesis of Bitcoin and who he, she, they, them, Satoshi Nakamoto was, 
there was this group called the Cypherpunks. And early in the internet's days, the early 90s, as the internet was starting to pop up, it was mostly like techno geeks and these crypto anarchists were involved as well. And so they're like, we got this internet now, this system of communication worldwide, right? They used to be called the World Wide Web. Many people don't even remember the WWW thing yeah. back in the day. But they're like, we, this is going to grow. This is going to explode. And there was the early genesis of commerce on the internet, e-commerce. And so they're like, in order for this to really be successful, we're going to need some kind of money that we can use that's not controlled by the government. This group of people had an email list, a listserv that they would communicate on. They're called the cypherpunks. And they were attempting to create digital money that could be traded on the internet. There were folks that created hash cash, e-gold, right? And they had all of these experiments and the experiments kept failing because they ran into two key problems. One of them was double spending. So of course, if you have a digital money, as many people know, you got a text file or an image, you right click, copy, duplicate, paste it, right? You've duplicated the file. It's not a big deal with pictures or, or I guess MP3s, there was a big rage, Metallica freaking out and stuff back in the day, Napster, all that stuff. But uh, when you do that with money, then you could just duplicate the money infinitely and essentially it'll have no value. So like, how can we overcome this? The other problem was centralization. So somebody that was kind of successful in creating internet money was called e-gold. And you would like deposit gold with this depository. They would issue these electronic certificates and then you could trade the electronic certificates. You would take them and redeem them for gold in another location. Well, the federal government cracked down on this e-gold program because they said people were using it to launder money and for illegal purposes, right? So that was that exposed the problem of centralization. When you have a company, when you have a person, you can put them in jail. You can say, you better stop this. You've got to shut this down. So these folks, one of the technological innovations was called hash cash. That's where you kind of take a hash function to secure information. So it has a record of that's accurate and it can't be manipulated because it's it's computationally, it's mathematically enshrined, basically. And if you go and try to manipulate it, it'll expose that it was manipulated. I'm trying to make this as easy to understand as possible. Anyway, if you're aware of this history, this evolution, this effort to create online sovereign money free of government influence, you see the characteristics and you see the players and the actors and the influences that Satoshi Nakamoto leveraged in their white paper, which was released in 2008. So what I believe to be the most likely, and I'm not the kind of guy that's gonna feed you a bill of goods and just be like, it this is what it was. It's not the new world order. This is what it is. But I will say based on significant study on my behalf and many other people that I respect, the most likely genesis of Bitcoin is one individual or a group from this cypherpunk movement. Okay. And then, a lot of times when people are talking about controlled opposition and is it is it is it a conspiracy are they playing us um you're like what are, what's the fruits of bitcoin what what's the result of bitcoin well it's really empowered a lot of people to overcome these currency controls it's even empowering foreign governments to buck the anglo-american establishment and the the system that was laid out in the bretton woods agreement which created the dollar as the global reserve currency so there's a lot of prospect there's a lot of benefit and I think that if it was a new world order tool, they would essentially be shooting themselves in the foot. And I think the central bank digital currency is actually a reaction to Bitcoin because they're like, oh, my God, everybody's using this digital money now. It has all this potential. We better come in and circumvent that. We better usurp that with our own digital money because we can't control Bitcoin, but we can definitely mm -hmm. control central bank digital currencies.
Okay. Yeah, I asked because I just wonder, like, what makes us think that the same forces that created the banking system and are pushing for, you know, centralization of currencies aren't the same forces that mysteriously created this Bitcoin or this cryptocurrency and to make it seem as if, oh, this is some new decentralized uh, currency and we need to demonize it. Kind of like when the Fed came about, like G. Edward Griffin, when he talks about how the Fed came about, the same forces that uh, established the Federal Reserve demonized it so that they could play a trick on the public's mind to get them. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, it's something I've always um, wondered about. One more um, thing on that. One more thing. I want sure. to challenge people too not to believe that the government is omnipotent. Folks that are in this conspiracy research stuff, myself included, you know, people have this tendency to think that the New World Order is all powerful. They got it all figured out. If something positive happens, it must be part of their plan because we watch so many damn conspiracy documentaries right. and we're so embedded in this movement, constantly focused on their latest ploy that everything's just got to be part of their plan. When in reality, they're weak, they're fractured, they're insecure, they're afraid, they're a bunch of megalomaniacs that probably have childhood trauma and were raised in these extreme elite families. They're not elite at all, they're trash. They're like, it's like the history of their bloodlines. They've been inbreeding since the British and the royal families and stuff. So they're scrambling. And every once in a while, a tool comes around, like the printing press of the Gutenberg, you know, the Gutenberg Bible and stuff, that enables people to really accelerate the freedom of expression and the sharing of information. And so it's possible that it's a big ploy and we're just being played and I'm being played. Yeah. I'm a big advocate of it, but I find it to be highly unlikely. Right. I, it is dangerous to uh, go down that path where we always feel like they do have omnipotent power. And um, that kind of like, it causes us to lose hope and think that, you know, we don't have any power. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, where do you see inflation going? Um, it's just such a scam. I mean, they're just popping out new money all the time. And now we have these banks that are failing in large part because for the longest time, the Federal Reserve had artificially low interest rates, which made it easy for people to borrow money. And of course, the, the mandate of the Fed is like they manipulate the interest rate to try to keep employment high and try to keep the economy cranking out. but um, Really, whenever they intervene in the market, there's unintended, sometimes intended consequences. I mean, you look at the play from the politicians and the central bankers, and it's almost as though they're deliberately destroying the economy, which would most definitely fit in with this great reset narrative, as though they're trying to shut out the politicians. They screwed up. This regional banks are failing, and now we got to implement the central banks, and we got to bring in technocracy, which is like a rule by the experts, scientific dictatorship kind of thing. So, I there's I really don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I do know that the chickens inevitably will have to come home to roost and you can't prop up a fake phony system forever uh, because the ruptures and the cracks in the system are beginning to expose themselves. And there's like, it's kind of wild that we're talking about bank runs. So it's possible that the government's going to bail out a lot of these larger banks. They already basically have uh, the FDIC insures deposits up to $250,000. Like with this SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, there was not very many people that had their money there had less than 250000 
the folks with over 250,000 are supposed to just be exposed on their own because if you got a bunch of money like that, apparently you're wealthy and rich and maybe you can mitigate the manage the risk better. But I think there's probably going to be major bailouts or they're going to let the regional banks uh, be strung out to die and kind of pave the way for the relationship between a central bank and the individual and, and people's businesses through the central bank digital currency. So I, I really don't know. I know they're raising the interest rates to try to tighten the money supply. A lot of people aren't aware that new money is created when people take out loans. In fact, right. all the money that's in circulation for us retail folks called a retail circuit. There's a retail circuit where the banks give money to the people through loans. And then there's a wholesale circuit where the banks have money on deposit with the central bank and the central bank can loan money or bail out and create new money for the banks. It's all big fraud and scam system. So what I teach in our CBDC exit plan, it's a 60 day program that's currently underway right now. We launched it after the CBDC challenge we did is um, that we need to do an inside outside game. So a lot of folks that are in my community and that are my clients are older and they're established and they have retirement accounts. Some of them are dependent on social security. So I'm not saying to abandon that, but what I do encourage folks, it's easier for young guys like me and you. I mean, I'm 38, I guess I'm not too young, but it's easier for us to opt out. It's easier for us to take the outside path and to build these new systems. We're more familiar with technology and such, but uh, I advocate for an inside outside game. We don't have to completely abandon what we've worked so hard for, but we do need to carve out a lifeboat so as to escape from the sinking ship. Um, maybe it takes a decade or two decades to sink. Maybe it's a frog in the boiling pond and there isn't some colossal collapse. It just shifts into the great reset, new economy, stakeholder capitalism. I really don't know. All I do know is that I don't want to be around. Um, I don't want to be around when it completely collapses. Yeah. Something new for my kids to enjoy and for future generations to experience freedom that we never thought possible. Right. Um, recently, in one of your newsletters or your emails, you talked about um, Nigeria and um, basically kind of like a bank crash in, in not a bank crash, but a situation where the Nigerians couldn't get cash from their ATMs because the government in Nigeria is trying to push the CBC, CBDC program. Is that correct? Uh huh. Yeah. And apparently a lot of people aren't even really using it, not going for it. So there is some hope there. Right. There. There's no guarantee that this is going to be implemented, but I think it might be easier in developing nations where people have more to lose um, and they have a tendency to go along with government. But all across the world, especially in uh, you know developing nations and the Middle East and some African countries, there's like people know that the government is a fraud. There's a lot of dictatorship, right? And the challenge with us here in the U.S. I imagine you're in the U.S. Um, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those that falsely believe they're free. So at least in some of these countries that have been ruled by dictators and, and haven't had rights enshrined in, in a document like the Bill of Rights, not that that's made much of a difference. It has made, it's enabled us to at least have conversations like this, you know, on the internet without getting raided. But um, who knows what the future holds? It's up to each and every one of us to create the future that we want. In fact, I heard this recent, this quote recently, it was, what is it? It's easier to create the future than to predict it. That really resonated with me. So it's like, I don't know what's gonna happen with CBDCs, but I do know that I have control over who I do business with and how I do business. And I'm gonna lean more into that than speculating about the future. I'm gonna create the future for myself and my family.
But yeah, right. there's all sorts of stuff about Nigeria being a cautionary tale for the central bankers and how they got to really watch out. A lot of folks, too, aren't used to the technology. Although in a lot of African countries, they use uh, M-Pesa. Or there's other uh, mobile phone-powered currencies, right? They're still based on their fiat currency. But that is a good path towards Bitcoin adoption because a lot of people are already used to doing business with their phone. Right. So you talked about Nigerians or, um, I guess, first world nations, more developed nations uh, being thinking that they're free but not really being free. So like in Nigeria, okay, or third world countries, they know that they have dictators. So are you saying that people in the US are under the assumption that we don't have dictators, like we're less free. And so we're more willing to go along with the CBDC program as opposed to a, a country like Nigeria or a third world nation? Yeah, and it's also, you know, I um, I had the honor of visiting a small Mexican town called Chiron in Michoacan. And this was a, a small community of like 15,000 people. And they, I think it was 15 years ago or so, they overthrew their municipal government and their municipal police force because they were in collusion with the, with the gangs, with some cartel groups. They called them malos, the bad guys, right? They were illegally exporting um, the forest, which they had their sacred water for generations. Uh, they were doing like an illegal avocado grow operation. Avocado is like a big cartel thing, apparently, in Mexico. Um, and they were like being abusive to the citizens and kidnapping people. And they finally said, basta ya, enough is enough, and stood up to them. And, you know, a lot of times in order for people to rise up and, and fight back or at least opt out, that's what we're advocating for, a peaceful transition to a free society, not any type of revolution or the destruction of existing institutions. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people don't want the freedom that I desire. They are comfortable with being ruled by their inferiors, essentially. But one thing that I recognize going to visit this town and get in a tour with the, with the town elders and talking to people that were there for the uprising, the Levantamente, it was like, things got really bad for them. You know, people were being killed and kidnapped and their sacred forest was being decimated. But unfortunately, and fortunately, right, folks in the U.S. and many Western countries are comfortable. They, even though there's economic problems and there's bank runs and such, people have a job for the most part. They have a home. Maybe it's not ideal or optimal, but they go to work. They come home. They relax, drink a beer, watch a sports game, hang out with the kids. And their life is somewhat pleasant and somewhat uh, comfortable. And so I think before the masses, right, we get it. We see it. People in our movement, our freedom movement, already see what's coming because we got red-pilled and we know where this is going. Uh, but a lot of people are so comfortable that they're not willing to risk that comfort for greater liberty. And that's a problem. Yeah. Well, so people look at it like, you know, we, we have just enough. There, We can tolerate a little bit of slavery just as long as we're comfortable in that slavery. But don't give us that type of slavery where, you know, you're kidnapping us and bringing us to um, secret locations at night and things like this and pillaging our villages and things like that. We don't want yeah. that. <laughs> but yeah. we'll, yeah. Like um, financial slavery too. Right. Yeah. So um, if a CBDC system comes into place, right, and we have to transact with, with alternative cryptocurrencies, like I know 
people also talk about gold and transacting in gold. And I've always wondered, like, if we do have a system crash and we have to transact in CBDCs, how does the average person transact in a cryptocurrency or a or gold? Like, how do you go to the grocery store and give somebody a, a bar of gold for like some toilet paper? Well, that's the cool thing about, so you got gold and you got silver. So I think an ounce of gold is like sixteen or $1,800 right now. And an ounce of silver is 16 bucks, something like that. And so I'm actually a big advocate for using what's called junk silver. So any dimes, quarters, half dollars, silver dollars that were minted 1964 and earlier, they're actually 90% silver. So instead of being worth 10 cents, a silver dime, it's like $1.60 or something like that. Maybe it's $1.60. I don't remember the exact conversion. So this is easier to you know, go to the store or you know, better yet, like one thing that we advocated recently uh, when all the food inflation was going on and we were seeing these supply chain problems, and then we see less so in the U.S., although perhaps it's more of a soft kill, subtle, slow process. But you had countries uh, like Denmark, for example, or maybe it was Hungary, Hungary and Denmark, and also Canada, where the Great Reset and these United Nations programs like the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, they're putting a squeeze on farmers uh, because they're trying to say that the farming industry, the agriculture industry is creating too much carbon output. Interestingly enough, this whole monocropping phenomenon was birthed from the Rockefeller Foundation, um, shifting away from more natural growing methods, more of a decentralized food supply system to monocropping, massive agriculture, which, of course, after decades has completely depleted the soil and the nutrition in the soil. The Rockefeller Foundation is also responsible for Western medicine and allopathic medicine being so predominant over holistic Eastern modalities. That came through the Flexner Report and their manipulation to give it up for the Rockefeller family. But nonetheless, um, we were real concerned about food inflation and about the prospect of the food supply becoming controlled and being obviously it's vulnerable and too centralized. So we're encouraging people to meet up with local food producers. There's this concept called the beef initiative. This guy, Texas slim encourages folks to go meet ranchers, shake their hands and buy food from them directly. So recently I just bought half a pig for 500 bucks and I paid with Bitcoin. So it was a decentralized food supply and it was decentralized money. Right. But anyway, I say that because you're like, go to the grocery store to spend dimes. You probably can't spend dime, silver at the grocery store, most mainstream grocery stores, right? But uh, you can find other freedom-minded food producers and strike up relationships with them. So it's like, yeah, we can still get our food from the grocery store and get some staples there. But it's critical that we start building the relationships to, got, to get food in a decentralized way from people that are part of our community that are willing to accept alternative currencies, whether it's Bitcoin, silver, or trading, you know, trading goods and services or bartering, right? So that's really what it's all about. And more so than gold, I mean, if you're going to buy a car from somebody or buy a horse or a cow or something, maybe an ounce of gold would be more appropriate. But then there's silver, which is more divisible, smaller, easier to transfer around. So it, it's really important. And there's a lot of people that are in our community and they're aware of the freedom, or they're well aware of the conspiracy and they see what's going on, but they're not taking action on it. Or they think that their activism is like sharing articles or forwarding messages on Telegram or something. At the end of the day, it's important to wake people up, but it's even more important that we begin to create the new systems that will demonstrate to people there's another way to peacefully coexist that isn't dependent on all of these terrible, terrible, evil people that have diabolical plans for us. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, I want to touch on food too. So when it comes to like, um, I think you, you talked about in one of your programs, opting out of banks and being able to get interest-free loans. How do you opt out of a bank? Like, where do you store your money? I, I'm not sure about your personal situation, but I've, I've been, um, very skeptical about banks, but I just wonder like, where would you, where do you store your money? And also how do you get interest-free loans? Okay. So well, to be clear again, back to the inside outside game, right? So some people you got what you got on this side, you got like Joe Democrat. He loves Joe Biden, got all the money in the banks. He's got all the classic 401k investment accounts that is, is his financial advisor told him to get right. It's just your average mainstream American, basically. And on, and on this side, you got somebody that is what we call an agorist. That's somebody that rejects the mainstream institutions and operates outside of them. My good friend, Derek Bros, he's with the Conscious Resistance. We co-founded the Freedom Cell Network together. We work on the Greater Reset together. He doesn't have a bank account. He doesn't pay taxes. He lives in Mexico. He's doing great things. He has you know a business and he's basically an entrepreneur that does journalism and does a lot of speaking engagements and stuff. And so he's all the way out here. Not everybody wants to go that far. Sometimes it's a challenge to go that far, especially if you have kids or if you have a mortgage, right? That's why, again, back to the inside-outside game. So for some people, you don't necessarily have to give up the bank. So I operate multiple businesses, and I'm trying to grow these businesses substantially. And in order to grow these businesses, I would severely handicap myself if I stopped accepting credit card and debit card. It's extremely challenging to accept debit card and credit card without a bank. So I still have a bank account. But I got the inside game, and then I got the outside game with, cryptocurrency, with silver, with the building value through relation, reciprocal relationships. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. We got each other's back. And ultimately, that's the most valuable thing anybody can have in this day and age. So you can still keep some money in the bank, but always be aware, like at any given moment, there could be a bank run on that bank and that money could disappear because it's actually not even there. They don't keep the money on deposit. They lend it out. They borrow against it. They try to make more money doing all sorts of investments. And a lot of these investments are, are being crippled nowadays. So it's all about where someone's at, how much risk they're willing to take, how much of their financial activity is in the mainstream systems. And you got to just make calculated decisions on is this practical for me right now? Um, but what I would encourage people to do, everybody, no matter where you are, is start taking proactive steps in this direction towards greater control and independence over your assets, over your money, over your time. It's all about recognizing where they have control over us, where they can put a boot on our neck. Because COVID revealed that they're willing to, their, their strategy essentially is let's make life difficult for these people until they do what we want them to do. Let's twist their arm until they say mercy and then they take the shot or then they adopt the carbon, my pass, vaccine passport, carbon, my personal carbon allowance, personal carbon allotment, which the World Economic Forum's pushing. Like you got this, you track how much carbon you use. And when you go over a certain amount, you got to pay money or you can't travel or whatever. That's where things are going. So it isn't necessarily pull all your money out of the banks and, and completely radically transform your life, but it is come up with a plan and a strategy to slowly but surely become more sovereign and self-sufficient and rely more on your community and local freedom-minded businesses and entrepreneurs as opposed to such a dependence on big corporations and big government. 
Now, interest rate loans, um, I talk about a variety of different methods to do that. Not exactly sure which one that you're referencing to, but one of them is uh, through decentralized finance. Now, you have to have some capital first in order to give yourself a loan through decentralized finance. But essentially, there's programs on the Ethereum blockchain and other smart contract blockchains that allow you to put up cryptocurrency as collateral, and then you can borrow against that cryptocurrency, against that collateral, with a stable coin. That's a coin that's pegged to the US dollar. So I did this exact process four times. Once was to pay for a down payment on my car. Once was to pay for a down payment on our solar system. Once was to expand our offices. We doubled our office space. And then once was when I was a bit of a cash flow crunch, so I borrowed against it then. Um, but here's the challenge. Because the cryptocurrency space, besides Bitcoin, Bitcoin, the price fluctuates, but it's completely decentralized. And there's not these little vulnerabilities as there are with other cryptocurrencies. Um, sometimes these stable coins, which are supposed to be pegged to a dollar, they lose their peg. So I currently have some money still in one of these decentralized finance contracts. I have some money put up as collateral. I'm trying to pay back the loan and get the money back. But this USDC, US dollar coin, they kind of got caught up in this SVB thing. So now some of the exchanges aren't letting you buy USDC with dollars. It's kind of a mess. So that's one way to do it. But for folks that are just getting started out, I always try to be real conservative in my advice because I don't want anybody to get hurt. And I went into this financial transaction knowing the risk that was involved kind of as an experiment, as a proving ground. So that's one way. Another way, there's this cool concept called the infinite banking concept. That's where you invest in a whole life insurance policy that's specifically geared towards being able to borrow against it. So you, you know, you put up 500 bucks a month or whatever you can afford. You work with somebody too. People can search infinite banking concept or IBC. And so like every month you're putting in a thousand bucks. Now, this has a, a benefit, of course, if you die, you can pass on money to your family, right? Um, but you could borrow against that policy. And so while you're earning interest on the money that you've contributed to the whole life insurance policy, five, six, seven percent, and you borrow against it, you're paying interest, maybe five, six, seven percent, but they cancel out one another. So you're actually not paying interest because you're simultaneously earning interest on the collateral. The decentralized finance works the same way. Um, for example, for the longest time, I was paying. Sometimes I'm earning interest because I'm getting interest on the cryptocurrency I've supplied as collateral. Uh, other times, like right now, I'm currently paying. Last time I checked, like 0.27 percent. So if I were to borrow the money from a bank, you know, presumably the interest rate would be five, six, seven, eight percent or more. So those are some ways you can do interest-free loans. But it's of course worth knowing that you got to have the capital up front in order to borrow against it, or in order to put money into the life insurance policy. Gotcha. Um, moving on to um, some different topics. Uh, homesteading. I see that you talk a lot about homesteading, and I've always been curious about homesteading. What exactly is homesteading? Uh, it's just this concept of having a home, ideally on a piece of land, and you have some food production systems, you have perhaps some energy systems that, uh, like we have a solar panel system, it's 11.2 kilowatts. We have three Tesla power walls that'll store uh, their batteries. They'll store 40 kilowatt hours of electricity, which is basically enough for, you know, even if the grid goes down and we don't have sun for a day or two, we'll be able to power critical appliances and stuff for a couple days. So you kind of just focus through your home on self-sufficiency, on uh, natural home remedies, 
And it's this concept of being more independent, not dependent on the doctor, not dependent on the grocery store so much. So we have some chickens. We got like half a dozen chickens. Not a lot, but we were able to have a breakfast this morning with eggs from our chickens. We're setting up some garden beds. We got these 16 wicking bed gardens. It's been taking a lot of time to finish this project because I spend so much time here at the office. But it is important that people are growing their own food because, like I said before, there's this play by the cabal, the shadow government, the deep state, whatever you want to call them, the predator class, where they are trying to make people dependent on these centralized institutions. And the more dependent people are, the easier it is to manipulate them. So for folks that are wanting freedom and wanting to be the master of their own lives, it's uh, extremely valuable to, to start homesteading. Even um, we do this, we're doing this event in May, May 18th to the 22nd. It's called the Exit and Build Land Summit. And the concept is to exit the cities and to build community in the country. Ideally, you exit the cities, you buy some land for yourself, and you build community with your neighbors, or perhaps you get some friends together, some freedom buddies, and you buy land cooperatively to lower the price, lower the work, lower the food production uh, input that you got to do. Every, you know, many hands makes for light work. Uh, people can sign up for that event, exitandbuildlandsummit.com, exitandbuildlandsummit.com. And it's all about how to grow your own food, what legal structures we can use to buy land cooperatively, what's the buying process, uh, how can we avoid getting uh, under the thumb of the government, permaculture, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, for, for free people, this is this is really important. And there's stuff you can yeah. do in a single family neighborhood or even on an apartment balcony. The idea is we should at least be growing some of our own food, if not half of it or a huge chunk of it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I noticed like in one of your videos, you talked about how you lived in a 400 square apartment or something like that. And you were able to grow your own food in that small space. Is, is that correct? Uh, we had some food there. Yeah. So we, uh, my wife and I, we sacrificed quite a bit to put the money together for a down payment. Um, you know, a lot of stuff that we're talking about takes money, right? So in order to buy a piece of land, it takes some money. And there's a lot of people that would like to move out to the country because at the end of the day, this whole smart city agenda and all this tyranny and the CBDCs and the surveillance and the carbon stuff and the vaccine passport, it's most prevalent in major cities. Uh, we moved out of Austin to Bastrop County, just east of Austin, about 45 minutes away from the city center of Austin uh, during COVID, right? It's a radically different lifestyle. You get to sit on the front porch and enjoy the wildflowers and enjoy the peaceful serenity of the country. And everybody's all, most people are conservative and chill and laid back. They didn't really wear masks all the time. And so again, if people value freedom and see where things are going, it's much more easy to actually experience freedom out in the country. But a lot of people are like, well, I don't have enough money to do a down payment. They just stop there. Uh, you know, I just got to barely making ends meet. I'm barely paying rent. How could I possibly put together some money to get a five or 10 or 20% down payment on a 200 or $500,000 piece of land or a $750,000 piece of land with a nice house or something, but it takes commitment and you got to really align with your why. And so for me, part of my big why was, I want my kids to have a better life. I got two kids. I don't want them growing up in this city. I don't want them experiencing all this weird woke stuff in school. I don't want them seeing everyone wearing masks. And it's just kind of weird for a kid to grow up in that world. I grew up, you know, getting dirty on my BMX bike and causing trouble riding around the neighborhood, you know, and now but everything's it's, all weird. It's for your protection so you don't get the virus. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> the mind virus. And so I just want to make the point that we did live in a 399 square foot tiny house 
with my wife and my two kids. And it was very challenging, but we did it because we had a dream of buying land and moving out to the country. And we were able to accomplish that dream through the commitment and sacrifice necessary. So anybody could do it. You just have to believe in yourself. And more often than not, we're our own worst enemy and we're the ones creating arbitrary obstacles in our own path to success. We didn't grow a lot of food in the tiny home. We did have a garden and some uh, container gardens on the porch. But the cool thing was the tiny home, it was a tiny home community, an intentional community, basically. It wasn't a bunch of freedom people. It was more mainstream. And my wife actually uh, worked at the community, but it was an agrihood. So it was a neighborhood built around agriculture. And there was actually a farm across the street, and they would do a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture Program. So not to mention there was also gardens that were part of the community too, like community gardens. So really cool experience. And we, we learned a lot about building community and having food tied to the community. Right. What are your thoughts on um, like the food supply and grocery stores? Um, how, how can, because I noticed um, I was interviewing a doctor a while back and I told him, I noticed that when you go into the grocery store and you look at the ingredients of a lot of, gro- um, a lot of products, there's a lot of different seed oils. There's a lot of just modified ingredients being put into the foods. Um, where are some of the best places to go for um, organic foods? And why do you think that they've allowed these ingredients to be put in our food supply? Uh, well, you know, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, and the Department of Agriculture, it's all just a big racket, just like the banking system, the Central Bank, uh, the Department of Treasury, the FDIC. It's all just fake. The whole system's fake. It's just a giant fraud. Uh, like uh, the Wolf of Wall Street with Matthew McConaughey and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's like, it's Fugazi, 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 Fugazi. It's a fake. It's fraud, right? Wall Street, you know, it's all fake. And so the food's fake. The people are fake on social media. The media is fake. The news is fake, right? The money's fake. It's just printed out of thin air. It's all just fake. So it's crazy. Focusing on what's real, right? Real relationships, getting real with ourselves, real food, real people. Real alternative media like your program, right? So uh, they allow it because they get kickbacks and there's a revolving door between the regulators and the executives at these big ConAgra food and uh, all this BS fake food. So yeah, I mean, I still go to the grocery store, but we definitely shop in the organic aisles. We have a great grocer here in in Texas called HEB. And even in the small towns, they have a significant uh, organic section. But What's more important is to build those relationships because there's a possibility that the entire food system collapses, even if it's temporary. I mean, it's still, we experienced it during COVID, right? There was, couldn't get toilet paper and all this weird stuff. And then a lot of times the, the, the shelves were empty. So go to grocery stores that have solid organic sections. Make sure that you're paying attention to what's on the label. Avoid processed foods as much as possible. GMOs, pesticides. But on the flip side, go to farmer's markets, build relationships with the local food producers. Same thing if you're a meat eater, go meet the actual producers of the food. Like we did a a cow share not too long ago. My friend Brad, he got together 16 people with our local Freedom Cell community. And for folks not aware of the Freedom Cell network, there's like 38,000 freedom people. They think like we do, but everybody's focused on solutions. 
So people get together, they pull their kids out of government school, they grow food together, they do these perma blitzes where it's like, hey, come over to my place next Tuesday, we're going to be setting up some raised bed gardens. And the other guy's like, all right, I'll show up there, but hey, I got this project going on next month, can you come help? And we all just help one another. But uh, he was able to pull together 16 people, we all contributed and bought a whole cow, and the cow got slaughtered, and they delivered it to our place, and he distributed it out to the community members that chipped in. So that's the best way to get wow. food. I mean, getting closer to the actual source of the food and building those relationships. So if the food supply collapses, you have a connection with the person that's still raising the cattle, growing the food, and they know you, they support you, you support them, and you'll be able to continue feeding yourself and your family. That's amazing. That, that cow probably tasted pretty good, huh? I would imagine. It tasted great. Yeah, straight straight good from ribeye. the straight from the source. So I know um, time is limited, but I got a few more questions before we wrap up. Um, you talked about, you also talk about technology alternatives, like I guess maybe alternatives to phones, like Google phones and the internet and things like that. Can you touch on that a little bit? Uh, like I, a lot of people don't know there's even alternatives to Google or even um, like iPhones and things like this. What, what are some of those uh, sources? Yeah, well, one of them's right here. My buddy has what's called an above phone, and it's a de-Googled phone that he sells. So you, anybody could de-Google an Android phone, but it's a bit of a challenge sometimes. Uh, you know, there's a bit of a learning gap. And uh, he actually does it for you, puts all these great applications. Uh, his name's Ramiro Romani. I'm actually doing a podcast with him. Uh, and if it's not, if if people are watching this and it's not live, we already did it, there will be a replay window, but anybody could sign up to learn about how your phone is spying on you. Uh, it uses what's called, the phones do what's called telemetry, where they're constantly sending signals and data off the phone to this big tech centralized databases to and analyze and keep tabs on you. And so that's called telemetry. And so if you de-Google your phone, you can in many ways interrupt that. It's not easy, of course, but he's going to be revealing some of the tips and strategies on how people can gain greater privacy and still use a smartphone. And so that's a free webinar. People can sign up at livefree.academy slash exit big tech, livefree.academy slash exit big tech. So yeah, it's always important to be aware of alternative opportunities. He's a freedom guy too. So it's cool to support our fellow freedom community and freedom businesses. Right. Um, another thing you talked about earlier was um, counter economies. And I think um, in your uh, CBDC opt out uh, conference, uh, someone mentioned starting businesses or side hustles. Um, so do you, you teach people different side hustle, hustles that they can get into um, so that they can get outside of the system or just, you know, so they can supplement their income? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So a lot of people have a corporate job. You know, there's just so many damn reasons that we should be in control of our income or at least be in control of some of our income. Uh, the CBDCs, it's possible if you got a big corporate job, they're like, we're starting to pay you in CBDCs, right? And so, you know, I have a mortgage. I have, so I'm not going to give up my house, right? I pay taxes, uh, although, you know, I leverage every write-off possible, right? And I pay property tax too. So maybe there's a chance I got to use the CBDCs for all those things. But I tell you what, if they're like, in order to use the CBDCs, you have to be up to date on your vaccination records. Uh, I'm just going to say no. That's, I, that's where I draw the line. And I'm not going to give up my house either. This is a home I'm willing to pay for your stupid property taxes. I don't want my home to be seized. 
but I'm not using a system that requires me to do things that are against my better judgment. So a lot of people that have a corporate job, their job could issue these CBDCs and they rely on that income in order to feed themselves, their family, pay rent, pay the mortgage or whatever, just the same. It was already revealed not too long ago, many major corporations were requiring the vaccines, the shot for their employees. So what I teach people to do, I'm a, I love entrepreneurship. I mean, it's hard as hell and challenging and there's so many struggles you got to overcome. But if you're a conscious person, you could really use it as an opportunity for self-growth all the time. But uh, people don't have to go full-fledged entrepreneur, but I do challenge people to at least have some trickle of income coming from a decentralized or an outside the system source. So that if you're faced with the difficult choice of keeping your job and taking a shot or losing your job and trying to, I don't know, go get in a breadline or being dependent on government or whatever, um, you're able to say, you know what? Screw that. I started this side hustle not too long ago. Maybe it's an MLM. Maybe it's delivering food from the local food producer you met and driving it out to folks on the other side of town. Maybe if folks are older, you know, like my wife just went to this event where we were hosting a booth selling tickets for our land summit coming up and she met a soap maker there. She bought like this $12 soap, you know, I got the soap too and it had like sparkles and glitter on it. And I was like, this looks like some expensive soap. How much was this soap? She's like 12, 13 bucks. I'm like, wow, that's some expensive soap. Anybody can make soap and go to a farmer's market or sell it to their friends online or whatever. The point is like dog watching too. That's something. Cause again, I teach a lot of older folks and it's like, anybody can watch dogs, hang out at the house with your husband, go on walks and you got dogs sitting around, you make 50 bucks a day watching the people in your neighborhood's dogs, whatever, online courses, doing a podcast and monetizing it through advertisements, coaching, learning a skill and teaching people, whatever, video editing, podcast production. There's so much opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity to do business with your fellow freedom lovers too. People love to do business with people that think like they do, right? Especially if we're all, we feel isolated and alone and like everybody thinks I'm a reject because I'm, I know about the new world order and I can't stop talking about it. Well, when you find other people that think the same way, you're like, oh my God, we're best friends now, right? I caution people because there's a lot of weird folks in our community. So just because we think the same doesn't mean that they're right. people per se. But um, it is important to have a side hustle. Anyone can do it. And more important that I've realized than the strategies and the tactics, the mechanics of pulling it off is for people to recognize their limiting beliefs and to overcome those limiting beliefs because oftentimes we're the only ones standing in our way from getting started doing something like that, supplementing our income or ultimately replacing our corporate job that that's not in alignment with our purpose, with something that we enjoy doing or something that is bettering ourselves or the people around us. Right. Uh, last couple questions. So earlier you did talk about homeschooling, right? And not having your children in um, government schools. There are people, actually, pretty much everybody I know is sending their child to a government school, maybe a private school. Um, why are you against public schooling? Well, in large part, public schools have been known to be indoctrination centers, right? There's a certain agenda that's being pushed. There's a lack of independence, right? And so my kids have done homeschooling. We've done private schools. They've done homeschool co-ops. Uh, more recently, I'm looking at a charter school. There's not a lot of private schools or al alternatives, opportunities here in the small town that I found. 
But we toured the school recently. We learned, you know, we asked them about woke stuff and they're like, no, we're not doing nothing like that. I guarantee you, I wouldn't be working here if we were. We talked about all the masks and all that stuff. And they're like, no, we had it required for a little while. But as soon as the state dropped it, we, we pulled out and we didn't have the kids wearing it half the time. So it's just important to be a proactive parent and to be aware of what your children are exposed to because there's a lot of weird stuff going on. And so like the ultimate dream, the ultimate dream of mine is to create kind of like a school system within our freedom community. And that school system raises money from folks that are wealthy or that have resources within the community. And then that those resources get deployed to support local homeschool co-ops. And, and so, God, I wish I had the time now or the capacity to build something like this. Um, so I kind of got this middle ground where it's like a public-private school, this charter school concept. But it's, it's aligned with some of my values. And so it's just kind of a middle step. It's not the most ideal thing, but it is something I think that's going to be beneficial for my kids. But I would encourage parents, if you live in a major city, and it's just a run-of-the-mill public school, government school, to be very cautious about what's being taught to your kids. There's a tendency in the big, you know, Democrat-run liberal cities for it to be even more extreme. And then if you're out in the country, this is another reason why we should exit the cities and, and live in the country, because it's more chill. It's more old school, so to speak, as far as what's being taught to the children. But we definitely need to spend a lot of our attention and focus on our kids and how they're being raised because they're the next generation that hopefully will take up the banner and continue the work that we've started. Right. Are you familiar with any type of um, hospitals that practice or I guess I would say freedom oriented hospitals that um, don't follow the Rockefeller um, model of medicine, maybe more like naturopathic kind of medicine. Has anything ever been um, created like that, like a, a hospital like that? Uh, that's a challenge because, you know, there's so many rules and regulations and medical doctors can have their licenses stripped. So we personally have seen a naturopath, a holistic health practitioner that has all these awesome like energy modalities and such for like the past 10 or 12 years. My kids do. It's not a hospital per se. I mean, there's a role for for hospitals in Western medicine, right? Mainly when there's an emergency, broken limb, car accident, right? Some surgeries required. But in 99% of the cases, there's also preventative um, methods that people can employ, not to mention you are what you eat, so your diet's everything. Nutrition is everything. And most medical doctors aren't even really taught nutrition in medical school. It's kind of a scam. But that's the type of thinking, though. We need to be thinking, like, what can we do to build out these institutions to effectively replace the ones that so many are dependent on that are all fake and phony. Right. And lastly, um, let's say, you know, the average person is watching this and they're like, you know, I'm working a corporate job. I hate my job. I like what you're saying. I want to maybe start a side hustle. I want to start eating good food. And I, I want to look into this lifestyle that you're talking about. Well, what would you suggest as being the first step as far as the programs that you promote? Okay. Uh, so, you know, I have this, uh, we, I did this course actually where I taught about these side hustles and how to set them up. It's not for sale or available right now, but I would encourage folks to check out our website, livefree.academy, livefree.academy and sign up for our email newsletter. We do a daily email uh, to folks uh, with tips and strategies and, uh, sharing some of the work that we're doing, the free webinars, the offers that we're making. But I would, so we have this this empowerment framework. It's called Live Free Academy Empowerment Framework. It's four parts. And you could use these four components for success in anything. 
healing a broken relationship, getting fit, eating right, starting a business, starting a side hustle, growing your own food, whatever it may be. And the four pieces are mindset, strategy, community, and taking massive action. So if you have a corporate job and you want to start a side hustle and work your way out of the corporate job, first, you got to get your mind right. You got to believe in your ability to actually do that because a lot of people have all this self-doubt and negative self-talk. You got to cut that out. And instead of being your own worst enemy and talking down to yourself, which so many people do, you talk yourself up and you become your number one champion, right? Why should we talk crap on ourselves in our own head instead of just being like, oh, you got this. Let's go. I can do this, right? It makes a world of difference. In fact, Nothing else matters. That's the most important thing. Other stuff does matter, but that's critical. You can't do anything unless you first get your mind right. Believe in yourself. Make a commitment to yourself. But then you got to come up with a strategy. You got to come up with a plan. So lay out goals and targets. So it's like, all right, by uh, June of 2023, so that gives me about two or three months, three or four months, I am going to have my side hustle started. I'm going to have my website created, and I'm going to be making $500. So you got a target, right? So now it's like, okay, what do I need to do now in order to reach that spot? The next target I have is to make $1,000. And I'm going to be pulling that off by the end of the year. Also, people understand that you know Rome wasn't built overnight. A lot of people aren't willing to put in the work that's necessary to start the side hustle or grow the side hustle to the point where you can leave the corporate job and put all of your energy into the side hustle, right? So you got to come up with a plan. You got to have a strategy. It's got to be a working strategy. Ask yourself, how can I get from here to there? And then in order to speed the process up, in order to increase the chances of success, lean on your community. Find people that have done it before. Find people that are willing to do it with you. Find people, start a mastermind group like Napoleon Hill talked about in Think and Grow Rich, where you guys get together and you share ideas. This guy's started an online store back in the day. This guy's connected to a really solid network of people that are looking to buy stuff from freedom people. This guy's a web host and a web designer, right? And you get your people together and you start sharing resources and ideas. And then finally, you got to take massive action. So, you know, you could tell a lot about someone's income or success by how they spend their time. There's a lot of people complain about they're not making enough money. I'm stuck in this dead end corporate job. And they're like, all right, well, what are you doing when you get off work? Oh, I'm playing my new PlayStation game, or I'm smoking weed with my buddies. I'm going to happy hour, getting drunk at the bar, trying to pick up chicks every weekend, right? It's like, okay, well, you're not taking this very seriously then, because if you were, you would be spending the time that you have growing your side hustle, laying the plans out, meeting with people, getting stuff done. One thing I like to encourage people to do is to project into the future where it is that you want to be, who you want to become. So you create a crystal clear vision of who you want to be a year from now, two years, five years, 10 years, successful, wealthy, kids, healthy, abundance, right? God, I own my own house or whatever. Um, and then you ask yourself in the present moment, are my actions that I'm taking today, are my thoughts, are my behaviors, are my habits in alignment with that person that I want to become? Right. So your friend's like, hey, man, we're going to the bar again, bro. Let's go party. It's happy hour. We've got Jaeger bombs or whatever. And you're like, ah, oh, I want to I start that business. I don't want to do this corporate thing anymore. I don't like it. I don't like my boss. I'm not getting paid what I deserve to get paid. Is going to the bar in alignment with who I want to be? Successful entrepreneur, father with an amazing wife and kids and a picket fence, right? Whatever. Um, you know, no, it's not. So you're able to say like, this isn't in alignment with my goals. It's not in alignment with who I want to go. So, Hey bro, 
unless you want to get together and talk shop on how we can start our e-commerce store or what, maybe I'll have a beer with you over that discussion, but I'm right. not going out clubbing anymore and getting hung over and wasting the next day because I have, I have big dreams and I'm going to pursue those dreams. Right. And so what program would you say a person like that could start with from, um, from the courses that you, you promote? Uh, I would just encourage people to sign up for our email newsletter. Okay. So we have a membership too. Folks can check that out, livefreemembership.com. So we do this. I'm really into marketing, right? So oftentimes we do these workshops. They're live and online. But it's like you got to sign up. If you don't sign up by this date, then you're not going to be able to participate. And then we take the workshop and we put it in the vault. So I'm just very um, in tune with human motivation, right? So urgency and scarcity are very powerful tools to get people to act. And I know that if people invest in the workshops and the courses that I do, then they're more likely to apply the material. Those that pay, pay attention. People that sign up for free oftentimes don't even show up, but the guy that shells out 200 bucks, he's like, I need to get my money's worth. I, that was a kind of a squeeze for me to pay the 200, so I'm gonna go do this thing and get the most out of it. But we do have every single course we've ever done. It's available in our membership programs, $37 a month. People can okay. check that out, livefreemembership.com, livefreemembership.com. Or if you just appreciate what I got to say, again, we do a free daily email newsletter with a lot of these concepts and strategies that I've been sharing on this interview. And people can sign up on our homepage at livefree.academy. Cool. And lastly, um, is this current administration that you know of, are they taking steps to, or what steps are they taking to implement this uh, CBDC um, program, if any? They're like in an exploratory phase. Uh, Visa, MasterCard, and some banks like Bank of America are cooperating to do a pilot program. So it's still kind of far off, but we kind of see the groundwork being laid with these bank failures. And of course, it's being pushed out in the media more and more. So again, back to the quotes, like it's easier to create the future than to predict it. So I want to encourage everyone to just create a future where the CBDCs don't have total control of your life. Um, but you know, there's this 2030 date, the Agenda 2030, the World Economic Forum, they talk about 2020 to 2030 being this decade of great transformation. So I suspect potentially that the CBDCs will be fully implemented by the time 2030 rolls around, but that gives us plenty of time to implement our system as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for your time, John. I appreciate uh, all the information and knowledge, and um, I'll post links to uh, all of your sources as well. Cool, man. Yeah. Keep it up. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you.